Spiritual warfare is really irrelevant if you don't know the Lord, because you are in the domain of darkness. You need to be saved. And if you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, then we've been delivered from darkness. We've been delivered from that domain. We are now in a relationship with the living God. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church. And Greg, we're taking a quick three-day departure from our current series in Nehemiah. You know, Dave, that's right. For the next three broadcasts, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. And, and these verses shed important light on our adversary, Satan, who he is, what his tactics are, and how we can gain victory over him as we draw close to Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible handy, please turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Well, thanks, Greg. And as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Well, we know that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we instantly have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan. And he uses people to work against us. He attacks us directly, tempting us. We'll see today. We have an enemy. And we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and I've been mentioning almost every single passage that our battle is not against flesh and blood. I've been sharing that because... A lot of times it does come in the context of flesh and blood. But we need to see from Scripture how we are to respond to opposition. So I felt led today to take a look at the passage that I've been referencing the entire time in the book of Nehemiah. And so would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to see how we can be victorious in our spiritual struggle. With that in mind, I want to share a little bit of the context of the book of Ephesians. And the ladies have been going through this, so this will be familiar to you. But we know that the Apostle Paul is writing the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ. He also writes to the leaders and servants there. Now, Paul had visited Ephesus on his second missionary journey, staying just a brief time. We see that in Acts 18. But then on his third missionary journey, we see he stayed for three years in Acts 19. He taught the word daily at the school of Tyrannus for two years, and his influence for Christ was so great that the Artemis idol makers incited a riot against him. Now, after leaving Ephesus, he ministered in Macedonia, and then while on his way back to Jerusalem, he stopped in Miletus to speak to the Ephesian elders in a tearful farewell. It's here that would be his last personal contact with the Ephesians. And then about five years later, he wrote this letter while under house arrest in Rome around 62, 63 AD, back to the Ephesians. And it's said that this letter is to the Ephesians, but it's also said it was possibly a circular letter that was brought around to the different churches there. Well, in the book of Ephesians so far, we see, first of all, in chapter 1, a panoply of praise to God, who has granted us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We have everything, and those blessings are divided, he shares in chapter 1, into three areas. The blessings we have in the Father, the tremendous, wonderful realities that we have, the blessings in the Son, and the blessings in the Spirit. And because of these great blessings, all tied up in what God has done through Christ by His Spirit, 
Paul prays for these Ephesians in chapter 1 that they would have greater wisdom and knowledge and revelation in Christ, resulting in knowing the hope of their calling, the incredible worth in Christ, and the surpassing greatness of God's power towards those who believe. And in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul reminds the Ephesian believers of their position in Christ by first sharing where they formerly were. They were dead in their trespasses and sins, but now having been saved by God's grace, they're alive and have been seated with him in the heavenlies. These Gentiles who were far and the Jews who were near, both needing salvation, were reconciled to God through Christ. And from this, these Ephesians are now being built up as fellow citizens being built up upon Christ. Then in chapter 3, Paul shares his suffering for the gospel, that there was a purpose for it. There was a purpose for it. It was for their sake. And he revealed that great mystery that involved them concerning the church. And he prays wonderfully again for these Ephesian believers. Then in chapters 4 through 6, we have the application of such a great salvation. We see commands for a worthy walk to walk in love, to walk in humility, and thus in unity, that God has so graciously given certain gifts to build us up in that way, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building of the body of Christ, till we attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, the mature man. And as we were growing and maturing, we are to not be thinking like the unsaved, but renewing our minds with the truth that is in Jesus, putting on the new self. And we are to understand our identity in Christ, and thus we are to walk in love as children of light, making the most of our time for the days are evil. And then we had the command given, so then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled with the Spirit of God and how that looks, singing, speaking, making melody, thanking, submitting, And we see then how that applies to specific relationships in the latter portion of the book. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. And then for us, as we'll see today, our relationship to our enemy, the evil one. So with that in mind, how can we be victorious in our spiritual struggle? Because we're going to have attacks that come through people. We're going to have attacks that come through Satan's temptations. We're going to see that in Scripture. How are we victorious? How do we overcome these things? Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith by which you are able to extinguish every flaming missile of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, with this in view, and be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We're going to see today that there are a lot of things that mirror back in Nehemiah, in the passage we would have looked at today, 
shows how Nehemiah encouraged them because God was with them because he's great and awesome to get to work, but as they get to work to be holding their swords and defending themselves at the same time. And one of the things that we do as we get to work for the Lord Jesus Christ, serving him at home, serving him in our marriages, serving him at work, serving him in the body of Christ, is we don't realize we need to carry our sword at the same time. We are going to have opposition, and we're going to look at that. How do we defend ourselves, in a sense, against the onslaught of Satan's attacks towards us in the context of serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, spiritual warfare, what people call it, is really irrelevant if you don't know the Lord, because you are in the domain of darkness. You need to be saved. And if you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, then... We've been delivered from darkness. We've been delivered from that domain. We are now in a relationship with the living God, and he can't touch us. Satan can't touch us unless God allows it. We know that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You might remember when Jesus responded to Peter, when Peter was thinking man's thoughts. He said, get behind me, Satan. We're thinking man's thoughts, not God's. We can still be used by Satan, but yet he cannot defeat us in a sense, ultimately, because Christ has defeated him. But with that in mind, we can get devoured. First Peter chapter 5, Peter says, Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in the faith, which implies we as believers can temporarily be spiritually devoured by our enemy. And I think there's a lot of strewn wreckage along the way on the path of what God is doing from those who did not obey God and allowed Satan to devour them. And may it not be us. May we heed the warnings. May we heed that and be aware and have our swords ready, in a sense, as we serve the Lord and not be naive to the battle that is going on around us. So then, remember, and as before we get to this passage, I want to remind you all that it keys itself off of Ephesians chapter 5, where we are to not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All these things we're going to see today cannot happen unless we are yielding to the Spirit of God, allowing God to work through us, submitting ourselves to Him. So then, we come to our passage here And also one other thing I want to remind you as we see in Nehemiah is that this passage about the armor is surrounded in the context of prayer. This is not done apart from dependence on the Lord, and we see prayer at the very end of what I read earlier. So how can we be victorious? You see, yes, we need to take certain actions. We need to be wise. There's things we need to do, biblically speaking, but we also need to understand who our enemy is and how to respond properly. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We have two commands here for us as believers He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And then he says in verse 11, put on the armor of God. Be strong and put on the armor. Those are two clear commands. We're to be strong in the Lord. We're to put on the full armor of God. And and what I want to do right now is look at the reasons why and then come back to these commands, what we are to do. Look down 
It's on your outlines, point three, and we're going to look at that first. So what's the first reason? Why should we be strong? Why should we put on the form of God? Why are we to obey this? God is gracious. He doesn't need to tell us why we should do things. Parents, you've done that at times. You tell your child, do this, and they say, why? You say, you don't need to know. Just do it, right? We don't need to know because our God is good, and everything he tells us is good. But here, he explains to us why, and this helps us understand the seriousness of why we need to obey. You see, sometimes we don't gather the seriousness of obeying God's word and how important it is. And here, we're going to see that. Notice he says here, finally, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God. And notice what he says, so that you may be able to stand firm. Notice this is in the second half of verse 11. You may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That you may be able... The term proston dunamai, dunamai speaks of power or strength, to have the strength or ability that you might have the strength or ability to accomplish what the context is here, and it is to stand firm against not the devil, but the schemes of the devil. We don't stand firm against Satan. Yes, we resist the devil and submit to God and he'll flee from us, right? But we stand firm against his schemes, as we're going to see. Notice this word, stand firm. It's a battle term. If you knew Greek and you read it, you'd think, okay, this is holding a critical position in battle. Standing there. You're staying there. You're not running away. You're not advancing forward. You're standing firm. You're holding your position. And it's that we would be able to stand firm here, hold that position against the schemes of the devil. And we got this stand firm all throughout our passage. The verb here, we have it in the middle of verse 11, that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes. The end of verse 13, having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm therefore. Pretty important, because we as believers, we, instead of standing firm, we fall apart. We fall apart emotionally, we fall apart spiritually, uh, we, we collapse in the midst of the battle. That's not God's will for us. That is not God's will. We probably all experience those failures at times. It is not God's will. It is God's will in his commands here that we would stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, holding that critical position in the battlefield. We have an enemy. We have an enemy, and that enemy is the Lord's enemy. In the parable of the sword, we see that the enemy is the devil. He is the Lord's enemy, and he is thus our enemy. And so here, we're to stand firm, but what are we to stand firm against? Notice again, it is against the schemes of the devil, or pros towards, stand against, facing against those things, so that we'd be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, although Satan, and we don't want to focus on him, we're to focus on Christ. We're to set our minds on the things above. But God does share about our enemy. We need to focus at least the amount that God would share so that we are aware and careful and we can obey his word, understanding why. He says here, stand firm against his schemes. The term in Greek, methodia, speaks of his methods or procedures. You know, you go to a new job and they say, here's how we do things. Here's our methods. We do this, this, and this. Or here's the schemes. Here's the method. Here's the schematic. Here's how it all works, right? Well, here it's in a negative light. It's his methods. It's his evil methods. 
so that we would stand firm against it, which means there's something more going on than just simply standing there. There's things that are wicked. There's schemes. There are things that can take us and trip us up. So we need to be careful. We need to understand it. It is his cunning stratagems to devour us and attack us and trick us. Now, before we look at his schemes directly, let's take a look at our enemy, just what Scripture reveals. Be reminded of that, because as I shared, as we go through Nehemiah, we're going to see how he deals with Satan through the physical realities, but ultimately he does the same thing we're to do, which is to trust the Lord, as we're going to see. You know, he's going to trust the Lord, and that's going to defeat the enemies, because God is a great and awesome God, far above our enemies, which includes our ultimate enemy, Satan. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Now you have, and this happens in scriptures at time, where the inspired author will write about a human leader and his wickedness, and then, in a sense, morphs into the spiritual reality behind that leader. Now there are some who would say, this isn't speaking about Satan, it's speaking about the leader of Tyre. Well, no, they're wrong, because later on he's going to say, anointed cherub, a cherub is not a man. And so you can see that the text itself proves that it morphs from the leader of Tyre to the power behind him. And that's where we gain insight into the person of our enemy, Satan. Notice what he says here. Notice his sinless beginning. We need to realize this. You know, God did not create a sinful Satan. He didn't do that. That's not what happened. Ezekiel 28, verse 11, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. That's very interesting. And it implies that he was in Eden before he fell. It's very interesting. That goes a little monkey wrench in some of our timelines. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, and the lapis lazuli, and the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, or New King James, better translation, trimble and pipes, has to do with music, I believe that's a better translation there, was in you on the day that you were what? You were created. They were prepared. Satan is a created being. He is not omnipresent. He is not omnipowerful. He is not God. He is a created being, and God created him initially perfect. Perfect in wisdom, beauty. He was in Eden. He had jewels that covered him. Now, if you're in a dark room and you have a bunch of diamonds in there, can you see how pretty they are? Not at all. It's only when light shines through the jewels that you see the beauty of it. And here he had jewels, and I believe he reflected God's glory. He was Lucifer, light bearer, okay? That's what he was. He was created to praise God in song. And then notice his privileges. Look at verse 14 of Ezekiel 28. You were anointed. You were the anointed cherub who covers. That shows for sure this isn't speaking about the king of Tyre anymore. Anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were in the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. He had these grand privileges. He was the anointed, the special one that covers. He was the anointed cherub who covers. He's a cherub. That's an angel. And he was on God's holy mountain. Had the grandest of privileges, we see here. 
But notice, although he was prated perfect and blameless through his own great pride, he sinned against the living God and was cast out for all to be appalled at him. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries, therefore I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you, this is how do we know? The only people who know him are believers, know who he really is, right? All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will be no more. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. And then notice in Isaiah 14, verse 9, Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of all the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, even you have been made weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp and the music of your harps has brought you down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. Now, it's thought that, first of all, it's speaking of the king of Babylon, the leader going to morph into the one behind him. Verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven. There you go, that's not a man. O star of the morning, that's a light bearer. You son of the dawn, you have been cut down to earth. You who have weakened the nations... But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. So we have our enemy who was initially created perfect, but he sinned. He sinned because of his splendor. He sinned because of his pride. And God cast him down. And so we need to recognize that Satan, having been the most beautiful, powerful angel, having fallen, now in Scripture we see, continually comes against God and his people. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org.
Greg, as we wrap up today's broadcast, in your message, you made an important qualification about spiritual warfare that I think bears repeating here. You know, Dave, it's actually crucial to recognize that spiritual warfare, as we call it, is only for those who are in Christ and walking with him. You see, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in the domain of darkness and spiritual warfare is actually irrelevant. So the very first thing that one needs to do when experiencing the adversary is to really address the core issue, which is salvation. You see, if you're not saved, the only way to be freed from satanic influences is to bow your knee to Christ, to trust in him as Lord and Savior. And when you do that, uh, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, if you're saved, but living in sin, the obvious first step is to repent of your sin and get right with the Lord Jesus Christ. As the psalmist wrote, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord doesn't hear. You need to be right with the Lord. And then as you walk with the Lord and and understand from God's word how our enemy attacks us, you can be victorious over Satan. And in our next broadcast, we're going to talk about how to do that. I hope you make plans to join us then. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you're receiving spiritual benefit from equipping the saints, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift today? Every gift makes a difference. No gift is too small, and every dollar is put right back into the ministry. To send a gift to Equipping the Saints, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to donate online, our web address is etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again next time, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints.